Has everybody got their Christmas shopping done yet? All right, Christmas is three weeks from yesterday, so y'all start freaking out right now, okay? I've got so much to do. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start today talking about the birth of Jesus, which is what we should be talking about this time of year. And, uh, and I hope that when you're here, I probably shouldn't have even mention what I just mentioned, because what I hope every Sunday morning for the next three or four weeks while you're here, you can put all that behind you a little bit. And not worry about whether, you know, it's going to be really crowded at Woodruff Road this afternoon when you get down there. And by the way, it will be. And whether, you know, whether you've got all your cooking done and your cards out. And for at least about an hour a day for the next three Sundays, I want you to be able just to focus on what this is really all about. Because all that other stuff is great and we love it and I'm all into all of it. Um, but we got to get back to the meaning uh, th- that started all this and, and, and what we're talking about. And so for the next, for the next few weeks, we're starting a new series called Do You Hear What I Hear? And, and the reason why is because I- I'm wondering if any of you can remember the first time you heard the story of Jesus' birth. Chances are, if, if you're like me, um, you can't even remember the first time you heard it because you heard it from the time you were so young. Maybe, though, there's some of you here that would say, yeah, I grew up in a house that we didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about Christmas and, and, and what Christmas really meant. And, and you could say, yeah, I can remember distinctly the very first time I heard the story about the manger and the stable and the swaddling clothes and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you, can, and you can recall that. Maybe even if you can't recall that, you might be able to recall, I can't remember the first time I heard it, but I remember the first time I heard it when I knew that it was special when I knew that it meant more than just a baby being born, that, that this wasn't just any ordinary baby. <clears throat> My, like I said, I was blessed and fortunate to grow up in a house where from the time I was tiny, I was told the story about Jesus, and we sang the songs and did all that stuff. And in fact, one of my earliest memories is I can remember, and I'm assuming it was my dad that was holding me because I just remember being up high and someone holding me, and we went to this, had this little nativity scene at our house, and going and saying, save goodnight to baby Jesus, and me telling baby Jesus goodnight. And, and I know that that happened when we lived in Dillon, and we didn't move from Dillon to Columbia until I was three years old. So one of my earliest memories, I was probably about three, I can remember being way up high and looking at baby Jesus and saying, goodnight baby Jesus, before I went to bed. And, and so, and maybe you're like me, you've just heard about Jesus your whole life. Well, we're going we're gonna to look for the next three Sundays at three stories, all from the book of Matthew. And they're going to be three stories of people who heard about Jesus for the first time. And, uh, and, and so these are people, they, they obviously they couldn't have been raised hearing about Jesus because Jesus hadn't been born yet. He wasn't on the scene yet. And it's interesting when we look at these three, you, especially the person we're talking about this week and the guy we're going to talk about next week, it's interesting to see how different people react to the exact same news, the exact same story. They hear the same news, but for some people it's good news, for other people it's bad news. And Jesus is just like that today. You can talk to someone about Jesus today that you don't know, and you might get, they they might be, oh man, I love Jesus too, and they're all excited. There's other people you can talk to about Jesus, and all of a sudden you feel like you're in a fight because they have, a, they have a, a, a bad attitude towards him or a problem with him or something like that. And so it's just like, I thought about, <clears throat> when I thought about these different reactions, I thought about what happened in our country two years ago. If y'all remember, we elected a new president two years ago. 
And, uh, and, and even before I say his name, some of y'all are going to have two violently different reactions to him. And it was so funny the night, I'll never forget, the night that he was elected, you turn on TV and there's people in Chicago literally crying with joy and dancing and excited about it. And then you go on Facebook and you got people there thinking that the whole world is coming to an end. And there were people that pulled out their end times charts that they ordered from some TV preacher and said, where's that Antichrist blank? Yeah, let's write in Barack Obama, you know. And all of a sudden you had some people thinking that the Antichrist had just been elected president, yet other people thinking it was the greatest thing ever. And it was the exact same news. The exact same news was reacted to so differently by different groups of people. And that's what happens today when we deal with Jesus. Some people, they hear the news of Jesus and they accept it with excitement. Other people hear it and they're so offended and, and disgusted by it. And, so, and that's been going on since the day Jesus came to earth and was born in, in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. And so, uh, so we're going to talk today about Joseph. Joseph, who, who had the opportunity, who had the blessing to be the earthly father of Jesus. Now, if you look in your Bibles... Go to Matthew. Matthew's the very first book in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read some scripture from there in a minute. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on the screen. Now if you go, don't, don't turn back to the book of Genesis, but the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, there's a guy there named Joseph too. These are two different guys, all right, separated by a couple of thousand years. But when I was growing up in church, you know, we heard the, the story about Joseph in Sunday school, and I thought the dude with the many-colored coat and got sold into slavery by his brother was the same guy who later was Joseph's dad. That's two different guys, all right? M many, many generations separating those two guys. In fact, the guy who was Jesus' dad was probably named after the Joseph in, in Genesis because he was a hero to people uh, who, who grew up as, in Jewish households. So uh, if you look at Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 25. This is the story about how Joseph found out that Jesus was on the way and, and what his reaction was. <clears throat> this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, we're going to look at most of the verses in this passage, but the one I want you to look at first is verse 20, Matthew 1.20. Because there's three words there, or four words there, that really kind of sum up what I think the main message that Joseph received from God about the birth of Jesus. And, and, and it gave Joseph the courage to do what he needed to do. And that is in verse 20, 
After, after the angel greets Joseph, says, Joseph, son of David, look at what the next words, four words are. Do not be afraid. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. And those were words of comfort for Joseph. And here's why Joseph needed words of comfort. Because just like today, back then, the truth was this. Doing what God wants will interfere with your plans. Doing what God wants will interfere with your plans for your life. Look at verse 18 of Matthew 1. Look at the first half of it. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came, Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now stop right there. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, we don't know a whole lot from Scripture about Joseph, but we know a pretty good bit. And one of the things we know is that Joseph was a carpenter. So that means he had a skill that he was able to, to use to, to provide for his family. He was a working man. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't like he, uh, you know, he, he probably sometimes had to go around and knock on doors to find work. But when he found work, he had a skill that he could do that he could turn into income for his family. So here's a man, he's responsible, he, he's a hard worker, and, and he's, got, he's got his own little business where he's doing carpentry work for people. The next logical step in his life for him was to find a woman to marry that he would be in love with, and he finds this girl Mary who we know uh, from history and other things that was probably a good bit younger than him, and so he finds this young girl, and she's She's great, and we know the Scripture says that she was favored by God, so she was a righteous girl herself. And, uh, and, and so he decides he's going to marry her, and everything's going great. What could be a better plan than we're going to get married, we're going to start a family, I'm going to run my carpentry business, and it's going to be this great plan. But look what in the second half of verse 18. After it says she was pledged to be married to Joseph, what word is there next? Say it with me out loud. Come on, say it louder than that. Like, y'all ain't never called anybody a butt or anything before. Go ahead and say, but. Now, you know when you're reading a sentence and it says, but, what does that mean? Things are about to change, right? Oh, this is going great, but, uh-oh, now, you know, now it's bad all of a sudden. And so, so what happens after the but in this verse? It says this, but before they came together, now we know what that means, right? This means before they were married and also means before they came together in any other way, all right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The kids aren't in here, right? Before they had sex, all right? But, and if your kid's in here, I haven't said this in a while. Let me say this. We do children's stuff every Sunday but one a month, and I make a deal with our parents that I won't talk about things like that if I know the kids are supposed to be in there. If your kid chooses to come in here, all bets are off on what they're going to hear coming out of my mouth, Okay? Because sometimes there's things we just got to talk about, right? So it says, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now you talk about something that's going to mess up your plans. Joseph's got everything planned out. He's got his business. He's a hardworking guy. He's going to marry this sweet little girl. They're going to get married. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, she's pregnant. Not only is she pregnant, but there's some crazy explanation about why she's pregnant. Because Joseph knows it's not his baby. Joseph knows what causes babies, and he knows that he hasn't done that. And so it can't be my baby, so whose baby is it? Oh, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Now I'm sure Joseph's thinking, hold up now, wait. Wait just a second here. Now Joseph was probably saying, I know I'm just a carpenter. I, I didn't go to Bible college, and, and, and I'm not a priest, but I know enough about the Holy Spirit to know that he doesn't just go around 
knocking up girls and getting them pregnant before they're married, right? I mean, I'm sure that's what he was thinking to himself. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. This girl's telling me that she's pregnant and God did it to her. Now, you talk about having your plans messed up. And so he's got this, he, he had everything planned out, and now all of a sudden he's got this girl that he's engaged to who's pregnant, who there's a crazy explanation for it. And so if he ever needed to hear somebody say to him, hey, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, what was, what was going on here is that, the, the, that God was telling Joseph, listen, do not be afraid, not just because you're seeing an angel in a dream, but do not be afraid of what's going on in your life right now, Joseph. I know that this was not your plan. I know this has set everything on its ear and it's messed all that kind of stuff up, but I want you to know that this was my plan for you, Joseph, all along. God's telling Joseph, this isn't what you had in mind, but this is exactly what I had in mind for you. Is for you to marry this girl. She really is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I love that the angel says that when it says, uh, says there when he uh, says to her, do not be afraid to take her home as your wife and, uh, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel's confirming, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm telling you it's the truth. She really is pregnant from God. And Joseph's saying, all right, I don't understand it, but that's cool. You say it. I understand it now. I, I, I got it. And so, so all of a sudden, he's, he's, what, what has happened in his life has been so topsy-turvy, turning things upside down. Now he gets these words of comfort from God. Do not be afraid. I know it seems crazy, but if you will do what I say, everything is going to work out exactly like I, want you, like I want it to for you. And in our lives today, in our lives today, it's so much like that when we, try to, when, we, when we decide we're going to follow and do what God wants us to do. God will mess up your plans. So I'm telling you today, if you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to kind of come to church and hang out, that's fine. If you just want to be an observer, be an observer. But if you want to get serious about what God wants you to do in your life, then get ready for your plans to be messed up and your world to be rocked because that's the way God operates. God never says, hey, come follow me, and you can follow me on Sunday mornings, and then the rest of the week you can take it off. No, he says, follow me and give it all up. And it says that all through the Scripture. Luke 9, 23 says, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself. That means give up everything you want, take up his cross, and follow me. And so what, he, what he's telling here to Joseph is, don't be afraid. You're going to follow me. It's going to mess up your plans, but it's exactly the best thing for you. And the same thing happens to us. I mean, today we have five-year plans. We have financial plans. We have all this kind of stuff. And all that's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't be a planner and you shouldn't look ahead. I mean, that's what you should do. But you should always know that what you put out for your plans, that's written in pencil. And it's going to be erased, chances are, by God. Where you think you're going to be in five years, God might have a totally different idea. And he's going to rock your world and let you know and move you to somewhere else. And, and so, and, and here's the other thing. When we do that, when we really follow what God wants us to do and it messes up our plans, we're going to be in danger of experiencing the same things that Joseph was afraid of. What was Joseph afraid of? What, what, what was he scared of happening if he married uh, this, this girl who was already pregnant? What, what would happen? People would talk, wouldn't they? I know nobody in Greer gossips. I know that. I mean, we live in a gossip-free community. I understand that. But uh, do you all think we do? But in the, back in that day, Joseph knew, I, if I take this girl home to be my wife, everybody's going to be saying, it's my baby. They're going to be saying, oh, we know what Joseph and Mary have been doing before they got married. 
and they're going to be talking bad about me. And then if I tell them, no, it's from the Holy Spirit, then they're going to think we're crazy. And so he was worried about being ridiculed. He was worried about people talking bad about him and it would cause hurt feelings. And, and I'm sure Joseph being the man he was, he was probably even more concerned about how Mary's feelings were going to be affected more than his. We deal with the same thing. If God gives you something crazy to do and you follow him, you can be guaranteed you're going to get talked about. You can be guaranteed that people aren't going to understand. They're going to call you crazy. They're going to say that you're lying. They're going to say you're doing it all because you want it to be all about you and you want the attention. They're going to say all kind of different things. And it won't just be people that aren't followers of Jesus that are saying it. Sometimes the worst people are the ones who are followers of Jesus. The ones who are Christians, they'll talk about you worse than anybody else. But if we will remember what the angel said to Joseph, yeah, God's messing up your plans. People are going to talk, but do not be afraid. It's almost as if you, when you read through the Scripture, I'm talking Old Testament all the way through New Testament, it's almost as if it's a, a prerequisite to follow God for Him to mess up your plans. Uh, I, there's several stories, a couple that I thought of that are in the Old Testament. One, there's a story in the Old Testament about a woman named Esther. Now, Esther had become the queen of the place she lived. The queen. There's only one of them. She was married to the king. She's the queen. I mean, she's the extremely, you know, fortunate now. She's going to have to worry about anything for the rest of her life. Everything's going to be provided. All she's got to do is keep her husband happy and everything's great. You know, she's rich. She's powerful. All this kind of stuff. All the things people dream about. And after she becomes queen, one day God reveals to her, hey, there's going to be something that's going to happen that will destroy all of the people from where you live, so you need to now go to the king and tell him to change his mind on something. She was scared to death because when she was going to do this, she knew he could have her killed. That's what kings used to do to their wives is have them killed. Guys don't get excited about that, all right? But that's what they used to do if they didn't like what they said. And so God messed up her plans. He messed up her plans. She had everything planned out, and now she's got to go take a stand. There's another story in the Old Testament about a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was just a regular priest. He was just a regular guy that would go make the sacrifice at the temple every now and then. And God says, hey, I don't want you just to be a priest. I want you to be my prophet. And when I mean I want you to be my prophet, I want you to tell the people what I think. And guess what, Jeremiah? They're not going to like what I think. And when you tell them what I think, they're going to be so mad at you, they're going to throw you down into a well, an empty well, and they're going to dump stuff on your head, and you're going to be stuck down in the mud in this well. But that's what I want you to do. You talk about having your plans messed up? Jeremiah's plans were messed up. But there's one story in the Old Testament where God messed up somebody's plans worse than ever. It was a guy named Hosea, it's in, and he was a prophet, all right? And Hosea, it's a happy guy, trying to follow God. And what does God tell him to do one day? He says, hey, Hosea, you know that woman that hangs out down on the corner and every night she picks up a different man and takes that man home with her and she gets paid for what she does with that man? I want you to go ask her to marry you. And Hosea's like, what in the world? And God said, and guess what? I haven't told you the worst news yet. And Hosea said, what is that? Her name is Gomer. So not only did Hosea have to marry a prostitute, but he married a prostitute named Gomer, right? And I, Hosea was probably thinking, does that mean we're going to have to name our first son Goober if I do this, you know? So, I mean, it, it, just all throughout Scripture, you see where, where God tells people to do things and it messes up their plans. But let me tell you, every time God does that, 
Every time he tells you to do something that messes up your plans, the message that the angel gave to Joseph is the same. It was the same for Esther. It was the same for Jeremiah. It was the same for Hosea. And it's the same for us. The message is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This seems crazy. This looks like something that no one else will understand. But if you will follow what I want you to do, it's going to be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Do not be afraid. So the question always that I think of when I read something like this is, okay, if if following God is going to mean it's going to mess up our plans, how are we going to know what God wants us to do? How do we know? How do you know when God wants to change plans on you? You've got everything planned out, and now all of a sudden he wants to do something different. Well, there's a couple of key words that I think we find in verse 19 and verse 20 of Matthew 1. Let me read those to you. It says this, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, remember that, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And then in verse 20, but after he had considered this, remember considered, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now you're probably listening to this and saying, okay, Cliff, it's easy for Joseph. I know how he knew what God wanted to do. An angel appeared to him in a dream. Cliff, if an angel appears to me in a dream, believe me, I'll do what that angel says, okay? But an angel has never appeared to me in a dream. Maybe that's what you're saying. But I think it's even more than that. And I think those two things that we talked about, the fact that Joseph was a righteous man and the fact that he considered the situation before he acted are things that we can live by today. See, when it said Joseph was a righteous man, what that means is is this was the the fact that that following God's plan was nothing new for him. Living day by day under the rules and the authority of God was his regular practice. So taking a a, a pregnant girl home as his wife who says she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, yeah, it's crazy, but that wasn't the first time that Joseph had done something that maybe seemed a little odd to people because it says he was a righteous man. He was consistently following the plan Jesus that God had for his life. That's what he was consistently doing. It was part of his regular practice. And then I love when it says that he considered this because it says he had this idea, okay, maybe I should divorce her. But he didn't react immediately. And a lot of guys would have. I mean, if you're engaged to a girl and she shows up and she's pregnant and it's not your baby, there's a lot of guys that would say, that's it, we're done. Take the ring off and get out of my face. I don't ever want to see you again. And my mama's never going to talk to you again either. You know, whatever. And we would be all upset about that. But it says, instead of reacting on emotion, it says that Joseph, he stepped back for a minute, tried to get away from the emotion of the moment, and he considered what was going on. And it was in that time of considering, before he had made up his mind, that God spoke clearly to him and said, hey, listen, this is of God. You need, you need to go with this thing here that's going on. And so if we, if we are trying to live a righteous life, then it's going to be much easier to understand what God wants us to do. I think it's sad and, and kind of funny when, uh, when if, if you live a life where, where you never consider what it is that God wants for your life. You make your decisions based on what you want. You don't pray about it. You don't read Scripture. You just do what you want to do day after day. And then all of a sudden, something comes up. And now, I, I really I need, to, I need to know what God thinks. I need to know what his decision is. Then, all of a sudden, you start praying. Okay, God, 
Show me what to do. You know, where you wait, you wait until everything falls apart and then you pull that Bible off and you dust it off and open it up, you know, and point your finger. Okay, God, give me a word from you. Jesus wept. Well, I don't understand what that means, right? And so you just open it up and you think that God's going to talk to you. And, and, and it, if it hasn't been a part of your regular daily life, it's so much harder to hear what God wants you to do. It's kind of like um, two, uh, well, not two years ago, a year ago, um, a friend of mine called me and said, hey, we're going to be hiking up Table Rock uh, to celebrate my birthday. And he had just turned 40, and, uh, and I was 40. And uh, he said, you want to go? And I said, yeah, heck yeah, man, I'll go to Table Rock. That ain't no big deal. I'm awesome at climbing mountains, you know. And, uh, well, here's the deal. I, at that time in my life, I hadn't exercised in about a year. I'd done no cardio for about a year. My cardio consisted of getting out of bed and walking to the breakfast table. That was it, right? That was all the cardio I was doing for over a year. So to say I was a little out of shape would be correct. So we get there, and I've never climbed to the top of Table Rock. I've done that little baby trail at Table Rock, you know, where you just go in this loop and you never gain any altitude. So we start going me and him and another, and another friend of ours, and, uh, and I forget how much elevation you gain at Table Rock, but you gain a bunch of elevation in a short amount of time so that you're doing a lot of stepping where you're doing like this, and then the next step's like that, and you're just going up and up and up. We got about a quarter of the way up, and I thought I was going to die of a heart attack. I mean, I'm not lying. My heart was beating harder than it ever had beat in, in my life. And I thought, well, this is it right here. I'm going to die on this stupid trail with these two guys, and they're going to have to haul me down and call my wife and say that I died hiking Table Rock. And I, it, was, it was just bad. And I was, you know, stopping like this. And, of course, I wasn't wanting to let on to them how bad it was, but they knew. And, uh, and here's what's even worse. The other guy that we were with, we are about halfway up, and I said, hey, by the way, how old are you? And he's like, oh, I'm 50, you know, and he's just walking up, you know, like this. And here I am. I'm 10 years younger than him. I'm about to die. And so finally we made it up, and, and, uh, and, and so I thought, man, the trip down will be easy because we're not gaining elevation. Well, the trip down, my lungs and my heart weren't hurt anymore, but then my legs got like jelly in every step you're taking. And it was, just, it was just rough. And the reason why it was rough is it wasn't my normal practice. All of a sudden, I went from doing nothing to climbing a, a mountain, and, and, and so it wasn't my normal practice to do anything that was challenging to my heart, to do anything that was challenging to my legs, and that wasn't a good idea. And I think sometimes for us, if you're living life and you're never seeking God's will for you at all, you're never even considering that, and then all of a sudden something happens, you say, I need to know what God wants. And, and, and so you start trying to pray and you start trying to read the Bible and all that kind of stuff. It's like me trying to climb Table Rock. It's not going to be an easy experience for you. You're not going to be able to get a lot of clarity on what it is God wants for your life. But Joseph was able to have clarity. Why? Because the scripture says he was a righteous man. So when God comes to him with this crazy idea, he was able to look at it, to assess it, to consider it, and to know God's been faithful before. I can remember when he was faithful before. And so if he's been faithful before, he'll be faithful again this time. And so that leads us to the second thing that I think we can learn from this story about Joseph, and that's this. The ultimate comfort is found in obedience. The ultimate comfort is found in obedience. Look at verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 1. Now, after he's heard all the news, what God wants him to do, what does he do? Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, 
he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. When Joseph first heard the words that the angel spoke to him, when it said, do not be afraid, I'm sure he was comforted. And even when he started to hear more about the plan, when, when the angel said, do not be afraid, and then the angel goes on to say, and by the way, this baby is from the Holy Spirit, he was probably even more comforted. But to truly experience the power of those comforting words, he had to act on them. See, words are just words. And I can tell you all day long something's true, but until you act on it and you experience it in your own life, that's when it truly becomes real. And so when, when Joseph heard the words of comfort, they were comforting to him, but they truly became a part of his life when he followed it up by doing what the angel said. When the angel said, take Mary home as your wife, that's one thing. When Joseph got up, went to her and said, we're still getting married, and took her home as his wife at that point, that's when it really became real for him. You see, God will tell you, you might sense, you come to a church service like this, go to a camp, listen to a, a, a testimony of somebody on your, on your computer or whatever it is, and you might kind of get an inkling of, oh, I feel like God might want me to do something. And it might be exciting and it might feel kind of comforting to you. But it won't become real until you take that step. I'll never forget several years ago, um, I did youth ministry for a long time. And, um, and there was a girl who had grown up in my youth group. And while she was in the youth group, she was always, she was kind of into, you know, what God wanted her to do, but not really. And she was a little more interested in, and uh, being popular at school and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but after she graduated, and, uh, she had, and she had actually was almost finished with college, she came to a church service one night and heard a guy give his testimony about what God was doing in his life, and it totally got a hold of her. And she came by my office and said, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like God wants me to go do And she had something specific. I feel like God wants me to go do this. What do you think I should do? And I'm no rocket scientist, and I said, you pretty sure God wants you to do this? She said, yeah. I said, you sure you just didn't eat some bad roast beef or something like that? She said, no. And I, I didn't really say that, but you know, I just made sure it wasn't something else. And I said, if you know God wants you to do this, there's no question. You've got to do it. She said, yeah, but that's crazy. Then I'll have to move and I'll have to do this. I said, if God's telling you to do it, you've got to do it. And here's the sad thing. She never did it. You know why? Because her daddy said, oh, no, no, you don't need to do that. And all her friends said, no, no, you don't need to do that. And so here was this 21-year-old girl feeling really certain that she knew what God wanted to do with her life, and she didn't do it. She didn't follow through on it. And so for what could have been the most comforting thing in her life, to her, it will always remain just words. But for Joseph, he heard these words, take Mary home as your wife. And it became real when he went and he grabbed her by the hand and he said, let's get married. I'm going to be your husband, and I'm going to be the daddy to this boy. And all of a sudden, when that happens, then all of a sudden Joseph realized, you know what? This seemed crazy, but this makes the most sense of anything in my life. Joseph knew. Joseph knew not only that he was supposed to do that, Joseph knew that that was why he was on this earth. That the reason God put him on this earth was for that very moment. 
so that he could be this boy's daddy. He could teach him how to be a man. He could help provide for this boy who happened to be the very son of God. Now, can you imagine the honor it must be that this baby here made me and now I get the opportunity to work hard to help to feed that baby. What an honor that must have been. But it only happened when Joseph obeyed what God said. True obedience, the, I mean, true comfort is found in obedience. The ultimate comfort is found in obedience. When you read um, the Christmas story in both Matthew and Luke, that's where the, the two um, stories of the Christmas story are found in the Bible. And when you read both of those, you will see that there's comfort everywhere. God is constantly uh, comforting people and, and, and letting us know that part of why Jesus came here was to bring us comfort, not comfort like relaxing you know, on a bed of roses comfort, but comfort as in, I love you and here's what I'm doing for you. And in fact, if you look in the book of Luke, there's three verses that I'm going to read back to back in the book of Luke where, again, those words, do not be afraid, are, are, are key. Luke 1.13, uh, excuse me, yeah, 1.13 says this, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. This was uh, John the Baptist's dad. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And then Luke 1.30, When the angel comes to Mary, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And then in Luke 2.10, but the angel said to them, talking about the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The message of the, the, of the manger of Christmas story today for you is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to do what God wants you to do. Do not be to, afraid to forgive when everybody thinks it's crazy to forgive. Do not be afraid to step out and do something radical when everybody says it's crazy. Do not be afraid to move to another place if God tells you to. Do not be afraid to open your mouth and tell your neighbors about what Jesus has done for them. Do not be afraid to give away more money than you keep at home. Do not be afraid to do all these different things if God tells you to do it. That's the message that the angel gave Joseph, and that's the message that we take today. But now here's the thing. For a lot of you here, it's just words unless you act on it. Maybe you've heard the words before. Maybe you've been to church a ton, and you keep hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it. But until you act, until you say, you know what? This is more than just a sweet little baby in a manger. This is really God on earth, and he's worth me giving my life to. Until you do that, it's going to just be words. But when you take that step and you commit your life to him, then it's going to be the most comforting thing that there is, more comforting than you can ever imagine. So I want us to bow our heads. If you are here and you know that you need to make it more than words today, that you need to ask Christ to come into your life to forgive you. I want you to pray the words that I'm about to pray. Just pray them in your heart. You can pray them out loud if you want to, but you need to mean them. And if you will pray and ask God to do these things, the scripture says he will. So let's pray together. If you want to, to make it more than words today, if you want to truly commit your life to Jesus, pray with me what I pray. Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth 
I believe you were born in Bethlehem. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I accept what you did for me. If it weren't for your death, if it weren't for you coming back from the dead, I could never be forgiven for all the things I've done. But I admit that I've sinned, and the only way I can be forgiven is by trusting in the cross. I want to commit my life to you today. Amen.